0: I want to talk about sprinting to the finish line. And I want you to imagine what it would be like if you arrived at Christmas with all of your relationships, every single one, in absolute pristine condition. I know we believe in uh, Christmas stories, we believe in miracles, but is that a miracle maybe beyond your thinking? There could be harmony in all of the relationships that you possess in your life, whether people that you worked with once or people in your business right now or maybe your spouse or maybe your children, whatever person that's in your relationship circle, imagine if you got to Christmas Day and it was a beautiful day. Imagine if the whole week of Christmas was just filled with all the promise of Christmas delivered. Because that is the promise of Jesus. To bring His peace. That's why He's called the Prince of Peace. And when we talk about joy to the world, what are we talking about? We're talking about our eternal salvation. We're talking about eternal life, but we're also talking about peace in every part of our lives. So I want to talk to you today, having set off a very uh, lofty goal for today, I want to talk to you about the foundational principle that I live my life by. Other than following Jesus, this is kind of the foundational principle of my life. 20 years ago, I flew into Singapore. It wasn't the first time I'd been there. I'd been there a number of times. But I flew into Singapore, and I, I think Jane and I were together, and I, I just remember noticing that it seemed different to the other times I'd flown in there. There weren't armed guards at the airports. There wasn't, it wasn't that feeling of Big Brother where everyone was watching you all the time. There was this sense of freedom and we commented to each other how different it was. And then later on, uh, as we started talking to a pastor, I was preaching there at one of the the big churches in Singapore, and I began to talk to him about what I sensed. And he said, well, I'm gonna tell you what happened. Four years ago, we as churches in Singapore decided to get together and be united and do a thing called Love Singapore. He said, in the last four years, it might have been five years earlier, in the last five years, We've seen such a massive increase in church life. And, we, and what you're talking about is what we've been praying for, this freedom, this sense of optimism, this sense of joy, and this sense of peace. I so said, I felt it coming in the gates. Having been here just a couple of years ago, I felt the difference. I said, and I had two phrases going through my mind in my hotel room. Two phrases. One was dominate, The spiritual atmosphere, and the second phrase was the power of agreement. And I said, as I'm talking to you, I realize these two phrases go together that the only way you can dominate the spiritual environment of your life, of your workplace, of your world is through the power of agreement. And I want to talk to you too about it because it's so foundational. It'd be like building a house, if you don't have it, it'd be like building a house and having beautiful walls and a great roof and beautiful interior, but no foundation. You know it's not gonna last for a long, long time, even though it looks fantastic. And a lot of people get into their life and relationships on that above ground kind of level rather than the foundational level of agreement. Agreement is the central point of everything. Everything comes down to this truth. You cannot buy or sell without agreement. You can't employ or be employed without agreement. The moment you get employed is the moment you sign the contract to agree to the conditions that you were offered. The moment you bought something is when you agreed with the price That was given, you might shake your head saying, I didn't like it, but you still agreed with it because you paid some money for it. Everything in life revolves around this central, simple, yet profound, deep, and changing of life principle called (coughs) agreement. And the problem with us is that we focus on superficial agreement. We're always trying to convince people to agree with us. Think about it. At home, our kids are always trying to convince us. So they go from mum to dad, and from dad to mum, to try to get us to agree, at least one person to agree. Right, everything is about superficial agreement. If I can get a superficial agreement, then I get what I want. And the truth is you may get what you want today, but you won't have something that lasts. So as we sprint to the finish line towards Christmas, I want to talk to you about theologically why God puts this at the epicenter of everything. Why agreement and the foundational theological embrace of agreement, the emotional attachment to agreement, the mental decision to make agreement, the fundamental guiding line, the plumb line of your life is so essential. Psalm 133 says this. Let's read it up on the screen. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, for there the Lord bestows His blessing even life after more. So here it is. If I want God's blessing, I have to be in agreement. If I want the blessing of God, now the Hebrew word for blessing is the word barakah, and it means the favor of God to hit every area of life. And he said, listen, it's got to flow down from the, like And it uses the example of Aaron the high priest, from the head to the beard and down onto the clothes, it's got to reach every part of that body for it to work. And he says, where there is agreement, there is my blessing." All of us are looking for God's blessing and it's so easy to get, so elusive to grasp. Agreement. Agreement isn't a thing, agreement is the thing. You can't get saved unless you agree with God's plan of redemption. You can't get anything from God without agreeing with God. Most times we're trying to get God to agree with us. We're trying, We're like our children, we're trying to get God to agree with us. And I'm going to show you something that's going to blow your mind a little bit later in terms of a scripture that we use or read that's not quite in the context that we use it. So if we want God's blessing, we need the baraka. We need unity that creates that baraka, the blessing of God. So where does God look to bestow blessing? He looks for people who are in agreement. Why? Because agreement most represents who God is. Agreement most represents who God is. Why? So we believe in the Trinity, the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, yet one God. There is no tighter agreement than the Trinity. So God blesses things that look like Him. God blesses stuff that looks like His relationships. And that's why when we understand This principle, it flips our mind into going beyond transactional agreement to foundational agreement. And that takes some deep conversations. Because I can tell you without a word of knowledge that there are people in this room that have an agreement at one level but not an agreement at another level. And this is not meant to embarrass anybody. It's just how it is in any group of people could be over at Gwinnett, I could be in Australia and say the same thing to any room, it'd be true. God thought it was so important that He said this in His Word, that one puts the flight a thousand, but two, ten thousand. He also says, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. Why? Because God created agreement to be the natural place of the reception of blessing from Him. God only blesses things that are in agreement. God thought unity was so important that Jesus spends 25% of the Gospel of John in the Last Supper trying to convince His disciples. It's kind of the pivotal moment. It's where those that disagree, Judas in this case, leave and it's where those that are left behind agree. It's where they come together to be one is in that five-chapter discourse in the Gospel of John. The most heavy discourse in the whole Gospel is around agreement. God's so into agreement that He called us the body of Christ. And you can have a hand, but if your hand is detached from your body, it's useless. So everything's reliant upon the other. He says, if these those things don't work in agreement, you've got problems, right? We. We saw some of the soccer players yesterday where their bodies weren't in agreement and they tripped over. They called it a foul. They pretended it was a free kick. But they actually kicked themselves in the back of the calf. It just seems to happen every time I watch soccer. But he called us the body of Christ because he wanted to reiterate. He couldn't call us anything else. But he called us the body of Christ. We know that when parts of our body aren't working, it brings pain to the rest of the body. But he called us the body of Christ, so you and I would know how deeply meaningful unity and agreement is to God. How it's the foundation on everything, that everything is built on. Why do you think the devil goes around stealing, killing, and destroying? As John ten ten says. Why do you think he tries to destroy marriages and relationships and get children and fathers to be against each other and mothers and children to be against each other? Why does he try to create within us this individuality to the extreme where it's all about me? You know, and I hear parents talking about their kids going to college. We're going to launch them into college, which sounds great. But we just threw them into the lion's den. Now, let's talk why God thought so? unity was so important that his great that Jesus' great discourse on the man of olives said this in verse 9 when he gave the Beatitudes, he said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Now, have you ever wondered why it says they'll be called? Why are peacemakers called the children of God? Here's my supposition about that idea. You'll be called the children of God because you look like God. Peacemakers look like God, and children look like their parents. So when I'm called the children, the children of the Evanses look like us, at least like their mother anyway. They look like us. Guess what? When we're called the children of God, that meant we look like God. And he says the peacemakers are ones who look like God. And I said it last week, but there's a big difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Peacemakers have the hard conversation. Peacekeepers keep it superficial. Peacemakers are prepared to dig deep into the foundation of relationships and say, we've got to get this right. We've got to be in a place of agreement. It's very, very important. I know we're talking, you know, on a Sunday morning and we can talk about lots of things, but really feel like as we race to Christmas, race to the end of the year, imagine if we could get to the end of the year with all of our relationships whole. If we were in agreement in all of our relationships at a foundational level, sure, we'll disagree about things, but we're in agreement in our spirit and our heart, what would happen in 2023? We would save 50% of the energy we expend right now just keeping things afloat. I'm believing, I, I believe in a green marriage. I want no carbon footprint, no evidence of my energy used In my marriage. Well, guess what? That takes agreement. Jesus said, Blessed, that's that word again coming out of Psalm 133 Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Because children look like their parents. When we're peacemakers, we look like God. People go, You must be a Christian. How do you know you're a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper? Keeping the peace gets you fired upon. You die being a peacekeeper, being a peacemaker, you are blessed. And the word word blessed is the Greek word makarios, which means to become long or large. And I know none of us want to become large, but it means when God extends His benefits towards us. In other words, God extends advantages to us and benefits to all those that are peacekeepers. If I want the advantages of God, the blessings of God, the makarios of God, the Bakara of God, then I've got to be a peacemaker. I've got to be a person of agreement. Jesus is described, isn't he? When we come around Christmas, we talk about him being the Prince of Peace. He's also a counsellor. I think that's impressive too. He's our great counsellor. He's the Prince of Peace, that's what He wants from our life. And that's what, imagine if you and I, imagine if all of us in this room, imagine if those watching online right now, hundreds of people watching online, and if you and I got to a place of agreement in our pivotal relationships first and then in the expanding circles of our life, imagine how much energy would save and how much productivity we'd create. Because if one can put to a flight a thousand and two ten thousand, God's talking about the power of multiplication. And I promise you, next year we're going to get into a series called Why God Invented Multiplication, Why God Created It. It's for yours and my advantage. But the bottom line, the the, the foundation is agreement. Agreement is how you build the house. And most people never master the art or work on it or understand or understand they may even, you may even be sitting there going I agree with the principle I agree with the principle but how? why? well next week Pastor Jane's going to tell you how she's preaching next week and I've given her the job me outlining the problem her creating the solution no pressure <laughs> because we're in agreement aren't we Jane on that? yeah, yeah, yeah we are great Now we've talked about it already so Peace, why the children of God? Because peace is the image of God. Now, agreement is the foundation of everything. And let me tell you, one of the rules in our house, one of the rules that, because it's, it's gone so deep into the psyche of my thinking, that agreement is everything. You can do anything if you've got agreement. You can do nothing without it. So in our house, one of the golden rules, I've, you know, I read books about parenting and family, and I looked at the hundred things that these authors write down, I think, you're just a, a shamer. I can't keep up with those hundred things. I've already failed. I'm a bad dad already. I failed in 90. Days. So I thought, how do I make this easy for the simple people like myself to figure it out? Well... I brought down to four rules, four golden rules that we build our family on, four golden rules. and I'll give you one of them today, but one of them is that agreement is at the foundation of everything. That means in our house, there is every effort always made to resolve an argument or an issue within 24 hours. In fact, before the sun goes down, I will not let, I will go and apologize myself in order to get agreement. Do you know what i found with a lot of people? I've been transacting with a few people just in the last couple of weeks. I've been finding how many people find it hard to say sorry. It's like happy days and the Fonz still lives on. I'm I can't get the word out, sorry. Those that are old enough to remember happy days will be smiling. The rest of you going, what is he talking about? Not happy hour, happy days. And so we made this decision early on that agreement is everything. So literally, I would go to my children, no matter what's going on, we will create agreement before the end of the day. And it's not like my way or the highway. It's about getting to the root of the issue. You know, most people just pick the fruit of conflict, never get to the root of conflict, right? If you could get to the root of conflict and go in there with understanding and empathy, you can say things to people that bring change and release them. Like I never say. Let me say. This, here, let me give you a golden rule: never to say. Cross this out of your vocabulary. Vocabulary. Never say this. I'm sorry if you're offended, because that says you've got a problem. What's your problem? And it's a weak way of saying sorry. This is not heartfelt. It's putting all the blame on the other person, right? You've got to think about what you did. Even if it, I remember having this lesson. My first lesson about this was when I was 17. I was working at, at, in the bank at that particular time before I went to college. And so I, I was working in the bank. And I remember the, the, the uh, manager came to me and says, did you do this? I said, no. Nah. Or it was my supervisor. And I said, no. And then we had this conversation. And he goes, you're never wrong, are you? And I, I was taken it back. I thought, well, no, I don't actually think I am. And I thought, but he thinks I am, so there's a problem, but I think I'm not, so what's the problem? And then I realized that I had apportioned blame based on the fact that I was a minority stakeholder in the issue. In other words, I only did 20% wrong, they did 80%, so they're wrong. And I realized a great lesson when he said, you're never wrong, are you? I'm like, whoa, this is my boss talking to me. I must be wrong, but I'm not sure how. No one has taught me this. So I went away and I realized, even if I'm 5% wrong, I have a way to go to somebody and say, listen, the way I responded today was wrong. Would you please forgive me? I remember going to a pastor once. (laughs) And I was sitting there and this pastor ran a very big church like I did in Australia. He's older than me. And I was coming to bring unity because there'd been a, uh, what's the word, a fracture. And I thought, what do I do? I thought if I say there's a fracture, it's going to feel patronizing to him. He's older, he's my senior, so what do I do? And I've never done this before or since. But I went down, I knelt before him and I grabbed his feet. I just don't do that. So you know it was the Holy Spirit. I knelt and I grabbed his feet and I said, "I I want to just say I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for not being a greater fighter for unity in the city. Would you please forgive me? Because then when I lined up all the issues, he was wrong on all of them. But I was wrong for not fighting for unity." So I was able to do a heartfelt from my spirit to the very root of the issue, not the superficial side of the issue, right? I hope this is helping helping you. And it brought tears to his eyes and (laughs) brought instant repentance of sorts. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I repent before you... But, you know, it was a conversation where he apologised. The result of that was great unity. Wow, that's a skill. It took the Holy Spirit to tell me, Ashley, get off your chairs. I'm sitting there going, what am I going to say? I'd already already been writing notes of how I was going to introduce this because this is the other thing. We plan for everything except those conversations. We kind of wing it. (laughs) I'm sorry, are you good? (laughs) And we wonder why it doesn't work. Because you can't wing agreement. It's got to be in your spirit, and then you've got to become a skilled agreement getter. All right? Very sophisticated language. An agreement getter. And you've got to learn how to do that, and it takes humility. And God wants us to humble ourselves. Now, I'm not even sure we're going to get much more time to talk about this, but let's keep going. So it's ironclad in our family, one of our four immutable non negotiables. The other one is if you live in my house, you'll come to church. Never to be compromised, negotiated, never. Oh, you want to leave? Let me help you back. Cheers, have a great life. When you're in my house, this is how it is. Just a few, four of those things. That's it. I won't tell you the other two, I don't have time. But the power of agreement is so powerful that it moves God himself to action. Let me prove it to you, but in the reverse way. In Genesis 11, we read about the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babel, depending where you've brought up. It's Babel or Babel, but let's call it Babel. And it says this, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, the Lord said, Elohim, God said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other and stop building. God was so taken by the unity of this group of Babylonites that God himself comes down to their unity and goes, the only way I can do that, get them to be obedient to what I've said, which is to be fruitful and multiply and not stay together in this valley called Shinar out of fear, is all, their unity is so strong, I've got to go down and confuse their languages so they cannot speak and I'll bring disunity so they cannot speak. So think about the basis of unity is we don't speak the same language right? Think about most of our marriages. We're speaking different languages. Wow, it's time for God to come down and give us all the same language again, right? <laughs> because we feel like we're the Babylonites. I don't, talk, I don't talk that language. What do you mean feel? I don't feel, I think. There's all the different languages that go with husbands and wives and families, right? Imagine if we could figure it out and say, God, would you come down again and unite our language so we could speak? Well, guess what? He has. He sent Jesus to unite us from our heart so that we have the spirit of agreement even if we disagree on some things. Agreeing at this level is not a problem. Agreeing about where to put the painting is not a problem. Agreeing about the foundations not being there is not a good idea. It's not gonna help out. Does that make sense? Agreement is so powerful, it moves God to act against the agreement. They didn't even have God in their side for agreement and they were so potent, so powerful. God acts personally to stop it because they were being rebellious to his plan. Agreement attracts God's presence. In Matthew 18, it says this, where two or three together come together in my name, there I am, Jesus says, in the midst of them. The tangible touch of God. I don't know about you, but I want God's presence. I want God's presence. Anyone else want God's presence? I talked about it last week. When God comes upon me like Joseph, because God was with Joseph, he prospered in everything he did. Didn't mean life was good to him all the time. It just meant that no matter whether he was at the bottom of the barrel, he came to the top somehow. If he was in a prison, he became the leader of the prison. If he was in Potiphar's house, he became the ruler of Potiphar's house. Wherever he was, God just blessed him because God was with him. Imagine if we walk through life with God with us. Not kind of, yeah, God's with me, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I walk into a meeting, I know that I'm not speaking just by myself. I'm speaking with the authority of God and the favor of God over my life. Let's keep moving. Agreement attracts God's provision and protection. Matthew 18, 19 says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. Now that needs a full exegesis. We don't have time for it today, but just grab the big idea. One of the big ideas is, listen, God listens when there's agreement. Number three, agreement attracts God's power and authority. Matthew 18, 18 says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth must have been, I want you to take notice of this, this is gonna blow your mind, must have been already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loosed, it's the same wording. I've just shortened it. There must have already been loosed in heaven. Look it up in some different translations than you're reading. Look it up in the Greek. Look it up in the Young's literal translation. Look it up in those literal translations that go right from the Greek, and you'll see it say it very, very clearly. So often we are trying to get God to agree with us. Whatever I bind, God's going to agree with. Well, maybe not. Whatever I loose, God's going to agree with it. Uh-uh, that's not what it's saying. It's saying you can bind whatever God's bound, and you can loose whatever God's loosed. The problem is some of us are trying to loose our marriages when God bound them. <laughs> All right? If we agree with God, we agree to bind what He bound and loose what He loosed. That's the authority being given to the church in Matthew 18 in its context. Again, needing more exegesis to take it to its uh, full conclusion. But must be agreed on. We got it around the wrong way. We think God's supposed to be agreeing with us. God's not agreeing with us, we're agreeing with Him. And when we agree with God about our life, about ourselves, about God, about His opinion about us, about our family, about our future, about our church, about where we're going, when we start to agree with God, boom, He says, blessing comes your way. Can't help it. God wants to bless everything that looks like Him. Wow! A couple of amens. Any amens? This is very quiet. Cool. I know you're listening, you're taking. So the first place of agreement is agreement with God. Some of us in this room do not agree with God. You're in disagreement with God. How do I know? Very simply, because I hear you when I 'm praying, I hear this, this going on. Many of us, God says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I made you with a purpose. I 'm ugly, I 'm unattractive. I don't have anything. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand if you 've ever said that, but I know many of us have. What have I What can I do? How can I contribute? We need to start agreeing with God. You can't loose things that God hasn't loosed. You can't bind things. that God, You've got to start agreeing with God. What does God say? God says, I made you. You're one of a kind. You're an individual with great power, potential, and purpose. I gave it to you, and I want you to live like you're my child. I love you so much that if you were the only person in the world, I would have sent Jesus to die for you. I want you to live like you're the only child in this kingdom. And many of you are in disagreement with God because that's what God says about you, but you say something else about yourself. I'm not worthy. I'm not good. I'm not this. I'm not that. Imagine if everybody in this room agreed with God about that. Woo! We would have a powerhouse movement. We wouldn't go, why is he not talking to me? Why is she not talking to me? Why I sat there for 10 seconds? Why didn't they come and talk to me? We would, be got, we would have got rid of insecurity. You know, the greatest threat to God moving is our insecurity. And we've all got it. Whether it's about how tall you are, how, whatever, how much hair you have, I'm very insecure. But it's sure fantastic when you want to go for a swim and you have to do your hair. It's fantastic. (laughs) So I had to come into agreement with God. God, you wanted my hair to be raptured before me, okay? It's not fair. You know, I look at at people, I was was sitting on a plane yesterday, flying back from New York, and I was sitting next to and I was watching a Robert Redford movie. I wasn't watching it, the lady next to me was watching it. (laughs) Just so you know. And I just thought, and we saw a movie about 10, maybe 7 or 8 years ago with him, and again, he's an old guy, right, really old, and he's just got this thick head of hair. It's just unfair (laughs) that he should have so much hair and I have none. So I have to agree with God that that was part of God's plan. The calories are my job, not God's job, but the hair is not my job, right? I know we're getting deep now. We're getting right into everyday life, but we've got to agree with God. If you don't agree with God, what can God do with you? If, God, if you don't agree with God about that you're awesome and you, are not, this is, you, know, you don't celebrate your birthday, you celebrate your Earth Day. Now I'm starting to sound scientific, you know, weird now. But what I mean by that is, that was the day God decided the earth needed you. It's your earth day, not just your birthday. God said, the world needs them. The world needs her. The world needs him. Send them out. And if we don't agree with God that that's what he did, then we've got no hope of fulfilling his purpose for our lives. So imagine if we agree, okay, God, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. Are we in agreement with him about our marriage? It's very quiet. About how we live, let's move on. About the church that he loves. Are we in agreement with God about the church or is it just something we go to casually? Or do we realize that Jesus died for us, but didn't just die for us, which is the fallacy that's taught? He died to create the church, would be the instrument of grace for the Gentiles. Read Ephesians, study it. So I've got to love the church like God loves the church. I've got to agree with God about marriage. I've got to agree with God about the church. I've got to agree with God about me, about who I am. Imagine what would happen. All of us would become superheroes overnight. Why? Because all those things that anchor us down, that hold on to us, that stop us from rising like eagles. And it's funny, isn't it? When someone starts to feel confident, the rest of us want to pull them down. Hey, don't get so confident. Because the rest of us are insecure. Stay a little bit lower. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Come on, you need to have better self esteem. We get better self esteem, then we get smashed for it. Isn't that the truth? Man, what a weird world we live in. That's why we need Jesus. Only He can make us whole. Only He can give us revelation. You know, I, I, I decided to serve God in my whole heart when I had a revelation about Jesus. And it only dawned on me a few years ago that it was I saw how much Jesus loved me. That changed me. It's not how much I love God, it's how much He loves me. That changes me. We've taught Old Testament For so long in so many places that we don't understand the New Testament and then the Old Testament, but the New Testament lays it out so clearly. God loves you. It's not about your love for God. Remember Peter says, I love you, Jesus. says, yeah, you're gonna deny me shortly. It's not about your love for God. Our love for God changes all the time. Benjamin, who's doing sound today, when he was a little kid, he would always tell me every day he loved me, but every day it would change. Sometimes he love me, as more, I said, I love you more than a thousand watermelons. It, that was his gauge of love, as it was summer, and he loved watermelons. Then another day, he'd say, I love, to, love you more than all the people in China. That was his next day measurement. And it would just go you know, up and down with all these different measurements. God's not like that with us. He just loves us, loves us, loves us, loves you, loves you, loves you. You're the apple of his eye. And the moment you realize you're loved by God, you're in agreement with God. Until you realize you're loved by God, you're in disagreement with God. Oh my goodness, this is I'm getting a mind explosion just explaining it. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I wish we had four hours. We don't, it's okay. But here's the point. We need to agree with God. We need to say, when we look in the mirror, hey, this is a gift to the world. not a gift to women. Forget that one. I'm a gift to the world. We should say that about ourselves, but we don't. Man, look, I'm having a fat day. I'm having my ugly day. Why is it we have all these different days? I don't know. Particularly applies to women, it seems. Men just keep it under wraps. They're having the same problems, they just not want to broadcast it. Whereas the woman broadcast it so you can say, No, you look beautiful. Go to God for that stuff. That's what He tells you. No, that next week Pastor Jane will correct all of this stuff as we're talking. And hopefully we'll have agreement if we go away for another four days for agreement. It'd be fantastic. We need to agree with God with God about our future. Otherwise, we'll live fruitless, frustrated lives. We're here for a reason some of us have longer than others but we have a reason to be here you're only going to live one life and whether your dreams are big or small they're going to cost you the same it's going to cost you your life but don't forget God in your dreams because that's what most people do bit of success oh I don't need God it's all about me so God goes really I've got to make you fall over again so you remember it was me Wow! guess how much God loves us he keeps having to remind us that we need him we're only good because he loves us and because he made us we need to agree with God about the church we belong to so many people think it doesn't matter where they go to go to church no God put you in a body for a reason some churches are without a spleen without only one lung half a leg It's not how God wanted to put his body together. So if we understand that we are the body of Christ, both globally, but also locally, the local ecclesia, gathering, we realize we've got a part to play and we wouldn't sit there like fans we would be players. So there's your encouragement. Do growth track in January. Join the leadership school in January. Become part of the incubator if you're an innovator. you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business person. Get involved. Find somewhere to be involved. Why? Because God wants to use you powerfully and He wants you to understand that the church is something He sent Jesus to die to create. It's important stuff. You show you love Him when you love His bride. We need to agree with God about His plans for our family, for His plans for our church, plans for our business. I believe that's the music to tell me it's coming to an end. We're actually gonna, that's a good, thank you. Anderson, you're so perfect, right on the money. I've got 24 more seconds there, Anderson. We're actually gonna come around communion. This is what family's about, right? We can talk about deep subjects and have a laugh. Church shouldn't be stuffy, right? It should be full of life. We should laugh, we should learn. We should cry. I'll leave that to Pastor Jane. Leave it, cry. I'm the only person in my family that can do funerals for our family. So I'm the only person who doesn't cry in those funerals. I do all my crying beforehand. I like to privately cry. I'm an ugly private crier, just so you know, all right? We're going to come around communion. You know why we're coming around communion? Because communion is the greatest symbol that Jesus created to say to His disciples in those five chapters, you're not on your own, you're part of my body. This is my body that was broken for you. But this is you. John 17, He says, Lord, make them one, even as you and I are one. His great prayer, His great last prayer was about unity. That's how much Jesus, think about it. Jesus was about to go to the cross and His last prayer is, Make them one. So communion, you know the Bible talks about 1 Corinthians. Again, pastors and, and, and whatever have kind of not read the whole context. So 1 Corinthians talks about not drinking or eating unworthily. Who's heard that talk? Whether you went to the Catholic church, you went to any other church really. Don't drink, eat unworthily. Do you know what that's talking about? It's not talking about whatever sin you did that week. It's talking about unity. Because in those days when they had communion, it was a big feast. A bit like our Super Sundays, which is coming up on the 18th of December. It's going to be an amazing, amazing Sunday, Christmas dinner with the Alfreda Influences family. It's going to be an amazing Christmas lunch. And so the whole point is they'd have these feasts and they would elbow each other out and give me this more food, get me out of the way, and they would not look after one another. They would just hog the food. And so Paul writes, and says, this is not the way it should be. He talks about unity and harmony. The whole point about the Lord's Supper, about communion, is about unity. It represents one body. And this is the great commandment, just that you love one another as I have loved you. And the world will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Unity. So we're going to take our communion, if we've got it we had it it out yet? Okay, let's go. But as we come around communion, I want you to think, this is what I want us to do. If you're here with your spouse, I'd love it if you're able to join hands. You don't have to yet, just when you get communion comes, after you get your communion. Because what we need is heartfelt agreement. Sometimes it takes a lot of fighting to get to agreement. But don't try to get agreement on the surface. Get agreement at the foundational level. Everything else is easy after that. And if we, as a church, would agree at the foundational level—and of course we do—there's no issues. Imagine what we could do together if we agreed with God about ourselves. If we agreed with God with each other. What we could do? We could shake this city. We can see God do amazing things. And so I want you to grab your communion and we're gonna take, we're gonna pray. And I want you to, as I'm praying, I want you to pray and say, Lord, help me. Think about people you know. So Lord, when I take this communion today, I wanna take it worthily. That is, I wanna be committed to the foundation of unity, which is the master key of everything. If you wanna run and sprint to the end of the year and do it well, Get unity and agreement. Put things together right so that you can run 2023 without any weights, without any troubles, without any of those things seeping in to your world.